Freight Alley, a region where logistics contributes to more than 40% of the economy. Arc Best's pension problems. We do five good minutes with Ashley Smith from Truckers Against Trafficking. Then it all connects. Supply chain sustainability is just good business. And finally, Punjabis and their rise as an Indian origin trucking community in the U.S. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. Hey, what's happening? What are we drinking here? <laughs> Why? Do I even have to Why? say? I don't know. Well, for the new listeners. Your boy has a Bell's Too Hearted. A Bell's Too Hearted. You know what? I think I have to... I, I, I may have a Bell's Too Hearted here in hand, too. Um, but um, I've, uh, I've been in a, um, a NEPA mood, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know... Um, we, had some, we had some great ones in the... Um, Hartsfield Jackson Airport Man, in Atlanta, actually Sam in, in Ad- Freight Alley, right? Oh, that's crazy. That's speaking of which, the world's busiest airport. And it was, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a $10 beer. Uh, maybe that was part of what made it so good. But it, <laughs> it, was, a, it was actually the uh, Sam Adams. Yeah, it was a Sam Adams New England IPA. Yeah. So fresh. So yeah. fresh. You've been on like a, you've been I, talking about it for weeks. Well, I haven't. I've been chasing the dragon, man. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't. I can't reproduce the effect, you know. So, um, so here I am. I'm just like you know, hey, settled in with my one note hop bill. <laughs> cool. It's dude. good times. Um, yeah, and it's been good times at Freight Waves. And man, what a week! Uh, oh, dude, what dude. a week! This week's been intense. A lot, a lot of activity, a lot of excitement. But first, let's let's get into the headlines and let's talk a little bit about your um, and Mariah's right big freight alley piece, which is sort of a celebration of kind of the mid south region. Give us like the premise of the story. We ended up putting it together. I've written on it a little bit before. Brian Strait is um, maybe one of the earlier um, writers of helping um, Freight Waves define um, Freight Alley. Um, you know, we have um, coined the term. You know, I, I I mean, I believe our CEO Craig Fuller did. I think he's I think he's the originator of this term. He and Brian Strait put some of these ideas together. And and the cool thing about this is, um, you know, the the not so much the geography of Freight Alley has expanded. I mean, it is what it is. It's been there, but it's defining it and gathering the data. And right, so this right. is almost an update. Yeah, so, on, well, so define Freight Alley. Uh, that's Geogra- hard to do. Geographically. It's uh, okay. Um, it is, uh, you know, a, a place that is, you know, um, it's got, it's, it's the southeastern U.S., um, particularly uh, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. Um, and right, not really deep, deep south. You know, we're not talking Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, you know, not Texas. Maybe I think you could probably include a little bit of northwestern Arkansas. Well, think about. I like to think about it this way um, because of um, our. We're. I. I. I like to think we're not being ethnocentric, but you know, here in Chattanooga, um, it actually is the heart of what we're defining as Freight Alley. And you know, I will say this anecdotally: when we first moved up here in 2004, and I, I looked, I looked on the map, you know, and I was like looking at this place that we're moving to. 
um, I was like, this, like, I'm surprised that, you know, this isn't like maybe a larger city or that it's not more famous or well known because I looked, I was like, it's two hours from Birmingham. It's two hours from Nashville. It's two hours from Knoxville. Memphis is, you know, in the same state a few not that hours far from away. Nashville. It's three and a half hours from Asheville. It's like, it's this like spoken wheel. It's this hub. That's kind of, I think that's kind of why it's not that big of a city. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's right in the middle of all these other. Whatever the reasons are, it's that to me it expands out of that like East Tennessee cluster. You know, branches off in all of these directions in a certain to a certain extent. Totally. Totally. Um. Let's get into some of the numbers with Freight Alley. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some of the most impressive ones when we talk. So yeah, we're we're talking Freight Alley is a is a sort of mid south region of the United States. That yeah. is overrepresented in transportation logistics. and logistics. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a couple of the big things, you know, you've got, like we said, the Hartsfield Jackson Airport in Atlanta is yep. literally the world's busiest airport. You've got. And Memphis has the second busiest cargo, cargo airport, airport because of FedEx. Uh, You've got UPS yeah. in Atlanta, FedEx in Memphis. No, FedEx, um, you know, here in Chattanooga. Well, yeah, that's true. The main headquarters yeah, is in yeah, Memphis. Right. But like we, we, yeah, FedEx own, is not, not owns, but they're the main, aren't they? Like they're probably the main economic um, driver of all of Tennessee. If there was like one large. Yeah, I think they're know, the, they've um, got to be the biggest company anyway, based anyway, in Tennessee. Um, um, so there, there's. But then you've got just in, you know, Knox, or sorry, just in um, Chattanooga, you've got. Covenant Transport, all kinds US of US Express, um, some of the biggest carriers in the, the in the US. T- it's littered with brokerages. Probably yes. has higher per capita number of freight brokers than anywhere in the world, including Chicago. Yeah, on, and, on a per capita basis. And, and we were just mentioning the maritime aspect <clears throat> of Savannah being, depending on how you define other ports, it's the third or fourth largest in all of North America. And then, not to forget Charleston. You know, out of uh, out of South Carolina, gigantic um, maritime aspect and yeah, intermodal. Yeah. Um, you know, we there's there we've got the, the rail activity, but some of the things to me that are interesting that the report discussed, and one one thing that um, I think you know Craig had kind of aggregated was that in many ways the, this area that we're defining is similar to Canada in both population and economics. Yeah. 37 million people call this area home, almost that many. It's like 36 million in Canada. Um, the, the, the gross regional product of Freight Alley is $1.75 trillion, which is actually a little bit larger than Canada. Right. So, I mean, that, those, those things stuck out to me. You know? Yeah, and it kind of stretches, you know, from, you know, the the tire factories in yes. Greensboro, North Nine, Carolina, exactly, all the way yeah, down, part of it. You know, all the way across to you know places like like P and S, you know, one of the biggest flatbed carriers in the country in in Birmingham, yes. Alabama. Yeah, like it's sort of you mentioned this, Birmingham. The, Shout out to Birmingham. It's, it's it's a historic. It's a this region is a place where. It's had historically low labor costs, so capital is attracted to it. There's lots of manufacturing that's built up. That's all the automotive industries that are are in this very region. We've covered that before. And it's crisscrossed by the interstates, and that's really just allowed Um, the region to really explode in terms of transportation logistics. Here's You wanted me to, to, to give you some stats of the region's 37 million residents that we just mentioned. 
125 million people of those work in transportation. Thousand. One hundred one point one. Oh, what did whoa. I, um, you said one hundred forty-five million. <laughs> my, um, no, that would be okay. My bad. One point two five million, though, of the thirty-seven people work in transportation, and two hundred thirty thousand are heavy-duty truck drivers. Wow. So it seems you know like a strong representation of over-the-road uh, truck drivers for sure. uh, from this region. Um, you know, at the heart of it all, we mentioned um, Chattanooga sits directly in front of it. There have been some really cool freight studies um, that have covered it. Yeah, and I um, wanted to read this really cool quote by our CEO, Craig Fuller, that's, that's in your article. He says, When we launched Freight Waves in Chattanooga, our intention was to establish Chattanooga as a global hub for freight market data. Leveraging the gig city's high-speed internet and deeply seated logistics industry network, it's all about tribal knowledge and data. And that's what's so cool is that yeah, like, I'll drink to that. Like we've got, mm. we're hiring data data scientists and we're putting them with you know people that have come out of the freight brokerage community of of Chattanooga. They're collaborating and working together, and you've got people on the carrier side that that have joined our team. Yeah. And it's just like. It's a really frothy, rich brew. <laughs> way to way to bring in the brew again. Um, yeah, it is. Um, there's a lot of appeal to Freight Alley, as you were mentioning, the low labor cost. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it turns out that, you know, you don't think of the South as being highly innovative, um, perhaps, but um, it, it, you know, it, it, it is. Um, it's, it's, as we like to say, um, it's all happening. Um, so there's awesome. lots of regional participants. It's a great um, article um, that was, you know, it's very a very collaborative article um, that, you know, Mariah and I actually didn't just write. It's, you know, it's other stuff that we've all put together. And it's so part of our... It's a celebration. Yeah, and part of our company's kind of thesis about the region and yeah. why... It makes sense for, you know, for that, that, you know, kind of explaining how Freight Waves was born in a little city called Chattanooga. <laughs> yes, um, that we all uh, know and love. And now let's talk about um, an interesting um, little snippet of journalism um, that you um, unearthed, that you disinterred <laughs> uh, this week um, in your dogged efforts at, you know, looking for whatever may you know, may be out there that that, that that doesn't quite make sense and we try to get to the bottom of it. Tell us about ArcBest. Ooh, baby. Where do, where do I begin? Okay, I'll, I'll start at the well, top. Yeah, I'll start at the you. top. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This week, Monday at midnight. That's right. Yeah, so Monday morning, um, there was a sort of a short seller research firm. Really what you would feel like was Sunday night. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but like so in the dark wee hours of right Monday um, morning, the short seller research firm called Off Wall Street released the secret report about ArcBest, saying that they had major accounting problems, and they issued a new price target for the company that was about twenty seven percent lower than the the stock had closed at on Friday. Right. right. And so, you know, I didn't even know about it at this point. It was only released to their clients who were paying for their research. But what we did notice was yes. that the as soon as trading opened on Monday, ArcBest stock dropped 7%. Yep. Um, and uh and and this was um 
noted and it was noted uh, by seeking alpha. seeking alpha and so what i and did our, our executive editor john kingston um, tipped us off to it yeah and we went and so i reached out to all the transportation equities analysts i know people at goldman sachs people at stiefel people at deutsche bank people at seaboard global no one had seen the report but they were all super concerned right. about the implications because there were two other major trucking companies that had severe accounting issues Namely, um, Celadon and Roadrunner in the past couple of years. Right. We've their stocks thing. So, so they actually, the transportation equities analysts I talked to actually said that this kind of triggered like a broader sell off of trucking stocks. And so, you know, I, we, I said that um, Archibest was down 7%. These other stocks were, were all down like 2 3%. So okay. you know, they, they were by far to give know, us the worst. Context. But it, yeah. everyone is kind of like, basically, the analysts were kind of like getting like gun shy of like the, the sector in a way. I see. I mean, we're talking about three companies. There's probably 20 publicly traded trucking companies. So it's that's a high percentage of companies with problems. In any case, yeah. after trading ended on Monday, about 4.41 p.m., we published the article just kind of saying, you know, our conversations with some equities analysts. Are concerned. Are, yeah, they're concerned. They're comparing it to these other, you know, disasters of companies and... Blah, blah blah. We don't want. We don't know what's in the report, but we're trying to figure it out. It's obviously had a dramatic effect on Arcbest stock. Okay, so that happened Monday afternoon. Tuesday morning, I get a phone call from Arcbest uh, Vice President of Investor Relations, David Humphrey. I get and also on the call is Arcbest General Counsel Michael Johns, and they are pissed. Right. It is the it is literally the most oh. intense conversation I've ever had in my brief journalistic career. <laughs> they were like, I would describe the conversation as between yelling and screaming. Yeah, I remember you uh, said for about forty five minutes. Tuesday was a tough day, and that's how it started off. And they were like, "We are not, you know, you're making stuff up. We are compliant with the uh, Security Exchange Commission's regulations. We follow all of the generally accepted accounting principles. Like, we're not. There's no finance. There's no accounting irregularities. You have to take this down. Like, we're gonna do this. Like, you're you're bad. Like, you're mean. Like, we don't like you. And you know, we're trying to 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 do damage control. And I was like, okay, like." Yeah, it puts you in a very difficult, uncomfortable spot. Well, I was like, look, I didn't actually mention any of the things that you're talking about. I didn't say that you violated GAAP. I didn't say that you were SEC not compliant. I didn't compare compare you to sell Donna Roadrunner. This transportation equities analyst did. Right. I was like, look, I have, you know, I was like, here's a chance for you to clear the air. Nice. What's in the report? And, and they were basically trying to say, able to get down to the bottom of, well, that. we were, so here's what happened. They were basically like, we're not going to discuss the report. We're not going to give it to you. Um, but it doesn't say what you said it does. You have to take down your article. And I was like, look, dude, I didn't say anything that was wrong. That's I'll right. happily write a new version of it. If you tell me what's in the report and they're like, no. And I was like, yes. And they're like, no, yes. Finally, I got their general counsel to admit on the record that the report was about their unfunded, you know, sort of off balance sheet, long term pension liabilities. So, and the story behind that is essentially Archibest, it's an LTL carrier. They have a Teamsters workforce. Yes. 
they pay money into what's called the Central States Pension Fund, which is essentially a Team Series pension fund. Yes. Okay. Pre, you know, this pension fund is in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> I'll put it that <laughs> way. Um, uh, this pension fund has tens of billions of dollars in unfunded liabilities. This pension fund itself is saying we plan to be insolvent on January 1st, 2025. Yeah. Okay. So previously, up until about 2008, the biggest participant in this pension, in this team service pension fund was UPS and they got out of it. They, they, and when you get out of it, you have to pay your share of the unfunded right. liabilities. Sounds like a good idea 10 years it, ago now. It ended up costing them about $6.1 billion oh. to get out. And obviously UPS is much larger than ArcVest. And they could absorb that brutal it, cost. Right. And then what happened as soon as UPS got out, you know, the stock market tanked. It was 2008. And so everything got that much worse. Like more people lost their jobs and essentially went on, you know, so if you look at the mix of a pension fund, you've got active workers paying into it and you've got retirees withdrawing from it. That, that makes when the recession, that makes changed drastically. A lot more retirees, people forced into retirement, a lot fewer active workers. That gives us a lot of good context, you know, just and so basically essentially, Arc Best got left holding the bag of this pension fund. They are now the biggest participant in it. They can't afford to get out. It's going to become insolvent. And they are going to be on the hook for, you know, let's, yeah. just, let's just say that this company is a company that has about $50 million in um, net earnings a year. Uh, and they, so they're, are you saying that they're going to be effectively bankrupt? Or, um, like what? What are we saying here? We no, that's speculation. We can't. Yeah, do that. I mean, you know, uh, I'm, it's we're, not we're, looking good. Here's the thing: we're like, we're going to keep reporting on this. We're talking. I'm talking yeah. to some lawyers who have helped multi-employer pension funds go through insolvency. I'm trying to understand what the risk is to ah. Arkabest. Um, okay. Yeah, we're, we're doing so, we're doing a deep dive. So that's that's some of. The, I mean, that's the uh, that's the long and but, short of the story. But yeah, the long and short um, of the, the long and short of the story is that. Arcbest is in very deep trouble, and they they've managed so far to keep everything off their actual balance sheets and financial, you know, filings. Yeah, but you know, it's a time bomb. Whoa. Um, okay. Uh, <clears throat> maybe on um, a now, lighter note. Yes. I. Uh... <laughs> well, I think it's, now it's time for five good minutes, right? What the Truck is back from the Insight 2018 conference in Houston, Texas. Uh, happy to say this episode is brought to you by Trimble. And we are here to talk with Ashley Smith about a very serious issue and an inspiring organization trying to do something about it, Truckers Against Trafficking. Ashley Smith has been the oil and gas program manager for Truckers Against Trafficking, or TAT, since January of this year. She came to TAT with a BS from Texas Tech University and a professional experiences in education, community relations, and human relations. 
As the oil and gas program manager, Smith primarily works with oil and gas companies to raise awareness of human trafficking in the industry, distribute training and marketing materials, and facilitate events on behalf of TAC with oil and gas companies and organizations across the country. Ashley, welcome to Five Good Minutes. Thank you for being here. I'm, I'm excited. Are you ready to play? I am. Well, ready or not, here we come. So tell us about what Truckers Against Trafficking is all about. What are your goals? How long have you been around? Awesome. Well, Truckers Against Trafficking started in 2009 with the mission to educate, equip, empower, and mobilize members of the trucking and travel plaza industries to fight human trafficking as a part of their everyday jobs. Most people do not know much about human trafficking and basic Basically what that is, is when somebody is forced into either prostitution or labor through force, fraud, or coercion. So these people are being forced to do something and they are not on their free will to leave that job and they are not being paid for that work. Uh, well, are things generally getting like worse or better with these types of crimes from your perspective? Well. A surprising statistic is globally there are 40 million victims of human trafficking. So that um, it's a very stunning number and right now the awareness is actually being increased as to this and so people are seeing that what the crime is and they're reporting it. So um, I wouldn't say that it's getting better but people are seeing what the issue is and they're helping to fight it and work against it. Speaking of how um, people are starting to act you know, more you know, assertively about this issue, how can people get involved? What, what, can, what can the average you know, trucker do to help fight human trafficking? Yep. So we actually provide free training to the industry. It either comes in the form of a, D, a DVD, we have it digitally, and we're on some of the LMS systems. The training is only 26 minutes long. That's right, I've seen that. Yeah. And what's interesting about that training is it really dispels some of those myths. People oftentimes confuse trafficking with smuggling. So trafficking is a crime against a person, whereas smuggling is a crime against a border. So if you were trying to flee a country, you could pay money to actually be brought into a country and you were committing a crime. But if you got to your final destination and the person you paid turns to you and says, the money you gave is not enough and they force you to work, um, you've actually become a victim. And usually those people, they're fleeing desperate situations and they know that they've committed a crime. So they're not gonna call the police and traffickers know this and they really exploit it. So um, the training really covers those myths and those differences and then it empowers truckers to help fight that. Isn't the training required in some states now? It is required in two states. It's Kansas and Arkansas. Um, that came from state legislator that saw what we were doing and they wanted their entire state trucking population to be empowered in that fight. Um, we usually like companies and truckers to do it voluntarily because if it's something that's close to a trucker's heart and if they understand it, they are more willing to make that phone call. One of the things I'm curious about, um, Ashley, Ashley, you're the oil and gas manager. Um, how specifically are oil and gas and energy companies involved in the fight against human trafficking? Sure. So, um, oil and gas is in the same uh, space as trucking, that they work in areas that there isn't always a lot of police presence, they're on the roads where there may not be a lot of 
um, access and understanding. So we're really taking care of that trucking overlap. There are a lot of truckers that work within the industry that they see themselves as oil and gas um, employees and they don't identify as a trucker. So we're making sure that they are getting that training and then really raising, raising, raising that awareness because when you're um, getting oil in a remote part of the country, there may be a lot more people and not quite the law enforcement. So if we train them on what the issue is and who to call if they think they see something happening, they can help fight that crime alongside law enforcement. Fantastic. Well, Ashley, thanks for visiting with us. My uh, stopwatch messed up. I, you ran the gauntlet quite well. That, that seemed like five minutes to me. It so. feels like five minutes. <laughs> thanks for visiting yeah, with us, and we are going to help spread the word. Thank you for having me. Well, that was an awesome interview. Thank you so much again, Ashley, for talking to us about this like super important issue. Shout out to Ashley. Great to have you on. So now let's um, finish up with our headlines of the week. Uh, we have your article, Chad, up next. Um, sustainability is just good business for supply chains. Yeah, I, uh, I had this uh, f- fascinating conversation with uh, Hala Zine. Uh, she is um, SAP's president of digital supply chain. And, you know, it's not, you know, we think of when we think of sustainability, I feel like we uh, often think of just like hit brands, you know, like Reformation, Tom's, you know, seventh generation, all of these, all of these different, like pl- they generate buzz around, you know, their eco-friendly business practices. Right, right, right. And they're, they, they kind of have this hipster prestige type of approach, you know, and, and, they're, and, you know, it's awesome what they're doing, to be honest, like in every way, what all these sustainability companies are doing, there's, it's missional, it's humanitarian. But one of my takeaways of like, kind of like having a chance to talk with Hey Lazine at um, SAP is, is that it actually, sustainability has grown uh, as a, um, yeah, like let's keep it coming, man. Like we're, we're flowing here. Uh, loving it. Like sustainability means more than like tree hugging activists, you know, who right. don't care about profit. Yeah, it so means, it's the bottom line. It's about, it's it, about husbanding your resources correctly not you know eating your seed corn like making Whoa. sure that you can continue You're taking doing, it back agriculturally i like yeah that. making sure that you can you know continue operating the way you want to operate and that you have the resources you know available to you to, to help you keep doing that right on man i mean like I'm, i guess what i'm like sustainability to me like you know now it's it's like if you really think about it, it's like it's about mind-blowing technology ironically enough it's about sci- the, the scientists and engineers now that are helping make it happen you know because it's ironic oh, yeah. because in some like we've made the atomic bomb we've done crazy things with technology but now we're using technology to like actually make things awesome for everybody and from a good business point of view as well right so what does sustainability mean you know in terms of like business in terms of transportation a a great question um dude this is what i would say um because this is why it's more about business it's like it's about better planning so that seems like a business thing from the very beginning um finding you know i think halazin said micro efficiencies wherever they can be you know basically squeezed from the turnip um you know at any given step in the supply chain yeah um and it's about and this is a business thing it's about not producing more than you need 
of a given product. So what is that? What are the net results of that? You have let less cost per unit of creating the thing, less storage, less shipping, and ultimately less getting rid of waste. Right. You and know? so it's about like adapting manufacturing and transportation processes exactly. so that you can be leaner, but still, you know, make money, still keep your customers happy. And the word to me is also expanding because this is what Zine was telling me. Like it also kind of means worker safety. And as you just added, it means smart manufacturing, which is the, also the 3D right. manufacturing, the yeah. additive manufacturing. That's actually really interesting. One of the, what I think when you talk about worker safety and the treatment of workers, that's one of the issues for a sustainable trucking operation, right? Because the way that, you know, yeah. their churn and burn kind of thing, you know, the, the vast so amounts of driver turnover, like that's unsustainable. Like it doesn't really work that well. And so how do you operate your business in a way that your employees actually want to stick with you, that they um, become a resource you can depend on? You know, that, that's to me, that's one kind of aspect of it. Uh, for sure. I mean, overall it is, you know, like, I think that the, the, the kind of, the overall reason why all of this is happening is not that everybody's going, oh, like, oh, we really need to protect the world. Yeah. Save the whales. You know, yeah, man. You know, it, I don't know if sea levels are really rising, but we're going to do all these efficiencies with logistics. No, that's not why. This is why. Technology advancement. That's it. That's it. It's because we have reached a tipping point and these things are able to happen and are happening. Right. And that's great. Right. And ultimately, that's great. It's ultimately, you make more money, you have a more stable business, you have a better value proposition, and you have a better case to make to your investors. Whoa. Like all that, I mean, like, even like added, you, that was well said. Um, uh, additive manufacturing, 3D manufacturing, it's made of plastic, right? But like 80% of it can be broken down and recycled. That's good news. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, like uh, uh, Zine was also, Hala Zine was also excited about um, uh, the IoT technology and the ways that they can like sort of do what we've covered in certain aspects, predictive maintenance, but you can like simulate stuff, know when things are going to happen before they happen at right. high level operations. Right. Using technology and to that's technology. eliminate waste, yeah, to drive efficiency. That, that makes sense. And one really last cool thought, like mind-blowing technology ideas, is the um, one of the SAP's partnerships with Cargo Sue Terrain. Uh, they're oh, this yeah. European yeah. alliance of these like badasses that are like have gi gigantic ambitious plans of what they want to do to basically save the Alps by 2040 by building this massive infrastructure of yes. like underground last mile delivery autonomous Aut last mile delivery to basically avoid like the carbon emissions the pollution the yeah, the, the sort of yeah. I will add yes exactly all of these things and I I want to literally quote um uh Hala Zine here um it's it's like a huge conveyor tunnel that goes underground so we don't clog up the alps and the beauty and the trucks just go into the cities and make the last mile delivery like and and she admits that yes it's it's ambitious and will take years to 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 uh, make happen but it's like and there are many more ideas like that and um, and and there are these That's solutions. So awesome. Th those are the kinds of stories that that that, that get one excited. You yeah, know what I, I mean, mean? It, it, and this is like a twenty-year project, right? 
but it's like it's so it's like, smart. It took it takes hell. It takes twenty years to build like a normal interstate. In yeah, the US. it's realistic. Yeah, like. It's not like, it's hey, so we're cool. building it. Everybody get on the, we're building, next thing you know, we're going to be, they're like, it'll be 2040. You know, it's right. Like, but still, it's it's like a project that's like at scale, has ambitions, has potential, and like it has a purpose and it makes business sense and environmental oh. sense at the same time. Oh, and, that's and really, now that you say that, it reminds me of one of the big things she was saying too was one of the things that excited her is that is the way that the digital world is meeting the literal, physical, geographical world. And that's exactly what you were just saying. And I love that too. It's where like, th- that's SAP's digital. And you know, and what- And these people know, are digging tunnels. <laughs> in, through the Alps. Right. So really, really cool stuff that gets me excited. And one last- last story uh, that we're covering uh, this week are the um, uh, Vishnu's uh, Vish, Vishnu Rajamanikam's uh, did I say that right? I, I think, think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, the Punjabis and their rise is an Indian origin trucking community in yeah. the U.S. And this is a fascinating. It like, really is. I, I got a little. I got a little history about like how they their immigration happened uh, throughout the last hundred years. Yeah, and how the, they the Punjabi made, like diaspora. Yeah, uh, um, and uh, and how they view trucking as like it, it's prestigious as a part of their culture, both where they're from and even here driving on our american highways yeah and so so you know i'm sure all you know everyone listening knows about punjabi and sikh drivers you you know you know about trucking companies one is not necessarily the other one's not necessarily the other they come from the same region no i know you know yeah Um, so punjab is a state in northern india it, it actually it goes it goes over um, both. It's into Pakistan and and India, and that's part partly where, the reason for the diaspora. But the Sikhs are over uh, specifically on the uh, Indian side, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And so um, you know, a lot of the Sikhs who lived on the, the the Pakistan side when the countries were divided had to leave. Um, so Sikhism and is that's the, how, okay. It, that's a, how the diaspora is, is that what you said? part of it. Yeah. Okay. That's part of it. I did not know that. Sure. That's it's interesting history in general. I would say that Punjabis are, you know, overrepresented in even like the, you know, American, you know, it's, 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 oh, it's, for sure. Yeah. That's part of the story. It's, it's, it's sort of yeah. a, it's sort of a, it's a wealthy agricultural based region of Northern India. Sikhism is, is one of the dominant religions there. And yes. so anyway, the Punjabis, they come to, you know, they came in through Canada originally. They've been coming to North America for over a hundred years. As they, 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 they sort of migrate. They, they were actually, I think it was in 1908. They were, they were forced to stop immigrating because they were immigrating so aggressively, I guess, uh, or however you want to put it. Like, so in such numbers, um, through Canada that they were actually stopped. But then after immigration laws, you know, right. reached different moderate levels, they cont- they've continued to come. They represent um, gigantic about- swaths of e- the immig- overall immigrant population, especially from the Indo-Asian area into Canada. Yeah, like th- about 30% but of, they- of the Indian people in Canada are Punjabi. Um, and they 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 came through British Columbia and into California, and they and that's why they are very represented in California. What's so interesting? So, so it, it is. Interesting. What's so interesting is that Punjabis, you know, they they are into trucking in North America. They're also into trucking in 
India. Like this is what they do. This I, is what they I, like. I, I think they it's have interesting, this, and, and especially Sikhs have this really cool culture of sort of like you know they, they consider themselves like a warrior people. They have this honor. They're they're basically like badasses. Like I, I knew a couple of Sikhs in college who yeah. are really cool people. They have these awesome beards. They wear daggers. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, they're they're they're, they're they cool. They never and cut their hair. They never cut their never, hair. They have turbans. Ever any hair. They have no tur- hair. they have turbans, but they're you know, and a lot. They've actually, as Vishnu points out, they've been the subject of a lot of like racist attacks because people yes. people think that they're Muslims or people think that they're like members of the Taliban and, or something and, like that. And I, but they're just they're yeah. Indian dudes. Because if you never cut your hair, like what is at first uh, upon your head is a small knot um, that is tied. That gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it becomes like that. Like it's just, you know, like you can see that being like the subject of serious uh, racism because you're different. Yeah. And you you are like constantly becoming like it's a transformation. Like you are very different. But if you go to like trucking industry conferences, you will see Sikhs there who run very profitable businesses. They're serious, smart people. They're, I know. think they really are. And oh, yeah, of course. I, I, I'm proud of this labor force in our country, and I want us to all, I, I, I guess, it's like even while, like, while there's misunderstandings, like we've read comments on Facebook about how, you know, that, that stereotype groups and, right. you know, castigate them or denigrate them in very negative ways. Right. And I just want to, like, I, I don't know all the answers, but we have a trucker driver shortage and, uh, you know, if they're like, why, why shouldn't we be even more immigrant, like solution focused? Why, why, why not? It's, it's, this is a part of our, our very culture, right? We're, yeah. um, so I would say like, you know, if, if there is a group of people who seem to be culturally and historically well adapted to wanting to drive trucks, Right, and, what, you know, and they, which and, is this difficult job. Like, it's not, it, either you want to do it or you don't want to do it. Are there people who can do it? Then bring like them these, on. These are like the they were like literally like like medieval warriors in India, and they've adapted to like being like long haul truckers and just being so hardcore about what they do that they're awesome. And they've been in North America for you know a hundred over a hundred years. So it's like. It makes so much yeah. sense. It's so cool. It's, it's, it's such a it, it's not a, such a shocker. I, I encourage you guys to you know, read the article. It's really interesting, and the more you kind of pay attention to it and are aware of it, the more like Punjabi and, and Sikh drivers you'll see on the roads. Wow, that is that's a that's that's really cool. And now we are about to um, play big deal, little deal. What is the deal with you? Um, and Let's see. Before we play, I want to say, like last week, we really aggressively um, covered. Uh, we covered, you know, Hurricane Florence, and there's still a ton of aftermath happening that you know we didn't necessarily cover this week, but we will continue to be and thinking of the people yeah. struggling there. Right, and it's going to be on freewaves.com for sure. Yes. Okay. So, are you ready to play? Let's do it. Florence adds volatility to lean hog prices. Big deal or little deal? It's a little deal, but the reason why it's interesting is because there's very little visibility into the African swine fever affecting Chinese hog supply. Any little movement in supply in the U.S. dramatically affects prices. 
UPS announces plan to hire 100,000 seasonal workers to deliver for the holiday rush. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. Last uh, holiday shipping season, they miss, they underestimated demand by 30%. Let's we'll see if they can get it right this time. FedEx's higher employee compensation cost sends shares lower. Big deal or little deal? It's kind of a big deal to me. I think um, their employee and employment and compensation model and the difference between them and UPS was one of the big attractions for investors. Women and young people addressing the driver shortage without compromising safety, big deal or little deal? It's, I think it's a, it's a little deal. Um, I don't, it's, it's really hard to attract people to the industry. Um, yeah. Travelers rights after Hurricane Florence. There's an app for that. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. We have less rights in the U.S. and the Europeans anyway. And yes, that's good to know about, but, uh, you know, people are suffering down there. What is the Typhoon Mangot fallout on shipping and the supply chain? Surprisingly little deal. They'll be able to recover from this probably in the supply chain that leads up to the uh, up into Europe and the North, Amer- North America in the next week and a half. New Jersey unemployment tax owner operator exemption gutted. What's the fallout? Big deal. I think they're eroding the independent uh, contractor model, and I do not think this bodes well for a complicated industry with with driver shortages happening already. Union Pacific will implement parts of the precision railroading model. Big deal or little deal? <laughs> little deal. I mean, it's a big deal to try to you know mirror the Hunter Harrison, the legend, the the the, the man, the myth, the legend. But you got to be able to do it on time. Oh, and, and we didn't do it on time. Oh, we didn't. Well, see, sometimes we're a little deal too, I suppose. And that'll do it for the big stories this week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. And if you're interested in freight economics and finance, come to our Market Waves Conference at the Gaylord Texan Resort and Convention Center in Grapevine, Texas, this November. Visit marketwaves18.com to learn more about this event. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.